0: Hey, what's up? You're listening to the PVD Horror Podcast, and today we have a special interview episode. We're sitting down with Tuzia Lyman, writer, director of Mom, Mothers of Monsters, and Bailey Edwards, who plays the main antagonist, Jacob. We're gonna to talk to them about kind of the creation of this project, uh, their thoughts about the, the themes and plots of the movie, and um, whatever else comes to mind. So enjoy.
1: Hey, what's going on? This is Brandon. Hey, this is Dave,
2: and this is Joshua, and you are listening to PVD Horror, and you are listening to PVD Horror.
0: Hey there, boils and ghouls! This is David Howard Thornton, Art the Clan himself from Terrifier and the upcoming Terrifier Two, and you're listening to PVD Horror. Kill ya later. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. As we mentioned before, today we are joined with Tusia Lyman and Bailey Edwards, who are both involved in the movie, Mom, Mother of Monsters. Uh, So Tusia, Bailey, thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, you bet, you bet. (laughs)
0: All right. So I guess what I want to kind of, you know, start us off with, but you guys can take each take a turn, but I was thinking to see maybe you can start us off. Like, what is your connection to the horror genre? And like, what made you want to make a horror movie?
3: You know, first of all, I think that horror movies and thrillers are kind of grossly underestimated with the, how powerful of a vessel they are and how much they can incite fear and dopamine and have people come back for more. And I think that I've always been a huge fan of horror films that kind of uh, nest an underlining social theme. And, you know, there's the big films that everyone knows about, like Parasite or Get Out, where there's underlining social themes. But I think that they have the power to kind of allow the viewer to shift their perspective, whether they're aware of it or not. And that's something that's always been super intriguing to me. And so I've always loved horror. I've always been a big horror buff. I've produced, written, produced, directed a lot of television and a lot of documentary uh, TV and paranormal shows so I'm also a bit obsessed with with the paranormal, although that's not what this film is about. Sure. But but that was kind of my, my leg in, meaning I understood that world and and I wanted to do something a little bit different than TV and I wanted to make a horror film because it's my favorite genre.
0: Awesome. Bailey, how about you?
4: Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest, I was a super, super imaginative child. So actually the whole world of horror like absolutely terrified me. I was the kid who would see a poster for a movie in blockbuster rest in peace. We love her and have nightmares for weeks and weeks on end. It was, it would just like run rampant in my brain, but we grow up and I also, as I, you know, was, you know, a young actor and developing and I sort of kept finding myself in playing more and more villainous characters. And there's something so delicious about playing someone evil or someone flirting with evil or someone let's just say playing with the dark side. And so when I first read the script and I first got introduced to Jacob, I was like, oh, I absolutely have to play this character. I'm so fascinated by these questions of good and evil, being born good, being born evil, nature and nurture, and what these sort of delineations we make in terms of like, what is a psychopath versus what is someone just doing bad things and what brings people to do these terrible or not terrible or you know, not getting into spoiler territory, but, yeah. um, you know, I think anyone who's seen the trailer for this will know that uh, things think a little wild that this is a character that I absolutely sort of felt like I needed to
1: play. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. So Bailey, I'm going to kind of jump right into that, what we were just talking about. So now was your dad, Anthony Edwards, like a big influence on your acting career? You know,
4: it's, it's interesting. Um, my dad is like my sort of like Biggest hero, toughest critic, all rolled into one. And I think that, you know, it's very, I guess the short answer is really, you know, I grew up knowing that like there's this world that my family was a part of and that I love to perform. But I also knew that it was going to have to be something that I figured out for myself. And I had to find my way into there myself because even as a little kid, when opportunities or things, anything sort of flirting with like professional childhoodness showed up, my parents were not going to let it happen. It was all about letting like me be a kid, letting my sisters be kids. It was kind of, it was very clear to me that that was off the table. And so, you know, I was performing all throughout childhood high school, but then it was, you know, in college when I was like, you know, I'm going to like go away to England and like study Shakespeare and like go find my own way through this and my own fire that lights me in this, because I'll have the support and I'll have the people there who get it. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to mean something to me, it has to come from me and not just, you know, the expectations of a parent
3: <laughs> i, I want to interject for for a minute because i'm not sure if you guys know but when we were auditioning uh actors for the role of jacob who of course plays the son in, in the film we we saw a lot of kids It was a lot of digital videos a lot of digital auditions because of, of course a lot of i mean it's a found footage film so yeah. there's you know it's all covered on, with computer and phone cameras anyway uh we saw between 400 and 450 auditions for this kid. And we knew we had to find someone really special because as you know, the whole film is kind of grounded in these two characters, right? The mom and the kid. And so we found uh Bailey early on. Bailey did not tell us who his dad was to his to his credit. So he went through all of the auditions like everybody else and all of the callbacks and then of course the chemistry chemi- uh, chemistry tests once we cast or, or you know got it down to three female leads that we were hoping would, would take the part and it wasn't until after our, our producers called his agent and offered him the role that the producers called me back and said you're never going to believe it but guess who bailey edwards is and i said mm-hmm. "I don't know. i mean he's done a couple things on i saw on imdb and he's all i know is he's a terrific actor and they said it's anthony edwards son And I thought I I just thought that was that was such a testament to who Bailey is and and what his skills are, that he did not rely even for a hot second on the name of his dad or any of those creds. It was it was pure talent, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah, he did an awesome job in this film, you know, like uh, myself and Dave, we work in the psych field. And so we work with patients. It just felt so real. It was just really cool. So good job, Bailey. Yeah,
4: thank you. That's slightly terrifying. And (laughs) (laughs) I will say that. Jacob being my first impression to people, for many people in the world, is really been something. I've just, I just think of like times of meeting friends of two CS who saw early screenings, who sort of gave me the most ginger handshakes. And I was like, oh God,
0: <laughs> please <laughs> yeah.
4: let this not continue. This <laughs> is quite the first impression.
0: I didn't, I, I didn't know what to expect when to, when you're joining us today because your character could have, like the real you could have gone so many different ways yeah. based on who your character was so I was like that was to me was this was really going to be intriguing just to kind of see who the real Bailey is yeah the character was just so multi-dimensional so it was it's even more interesting meeting you in person than the character itself it's just because I didn't know what to expect <laughs> he
3: transformed he transformed <laughs> Dave. And, yeah. and it's funny he gets cast as as villains and and potentially psychopaths because you know in person he's such a nice guy <laughs> you know and he's so yeah. sweet and he's nothing like his actual character which is uh it was really fun to work with him because of that. Is
0: it true that Bailey beat out Josh for this for this character? Josh, didn't you send in your video? <laughs> look at look at how did he not get it? Look at him.
3: That was on the download page. <laughs> <laughs> Josh's facial hair was too long, and his and his uh, actual hair was a little too short. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the beard prevents me from a lot let me <laughs> that. my wife does not like it uh I brandon
0: like, did you uh, want to um did you want to share with bailey how we are fanboys of his dad
1: oh yeah bailey <laughs> man it's like for your dad we, we enjoy his pet cemetery too those films and it's, it's oh my God. One of favorites <laughs> <laughs> Wow,
4: well, that's actually if you want a tiny insane anecdote the only reason that i'm here is because of that film because that is where my mother met my dad
3: Really? Oh, yeah. My
4: mom's awful. a makeup artist, and she met him awesome. on set of Pet Cemetery too. Awesome.
0: Oh man, huge fans of your parents. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Usually, usually I always hear first ER or Goose from Top. Oh no, crazy. no, not
4: here. <laughs> no, I love that. That's amazing. You guys um,
2: are creepy. <laughs> <Like,
3: laughs>
2: sorry. I <love> <laughs> Sorry, Bailey. I apologize for them. It's all good. good. Uh, Bailey, I had a a real quick question on one of your other acting gigs. You were in the movie Bright, and I love that movie. Mm -hmm. And I went back and watched it again, and I I still didn't find you in it. Um, So how was it in the movie?
4: So, yeah, so I... I played an elf cop in that and I was part of the cops chasing them them sort of like through the whole thing and that storyline got significantly slimmed over the course of the making of it it was a really fun experience to do and a little big and overwhelming it was I was fresh out of college and I was like they had me learn elvish for it I had like contacts and prosthetics and all this like fun stuff and then they handed me a real gun and I was like whoa we were really going full hog here and it was you know it was like full-blown like macho action movie which you know is has its ups and downs and ins and outs and sometimes you don't end up appearing in the film itself there's like if we watch it together I could point out where I'm Wandering around in scenes that no longer exist.
2: Yeah, uh, I was in a, a couple of films as an extra, and I got chopped out of every scene. So I, I, I can relate to that. But I yeah, have no ability to really act. So do I really belong in the movie? Probably not. So we're a little well, different there.
4: Well, to this day, you know, I'll still have those lines of Elvish that were created for me, which <laughs> yeah, I exactly. would say to go to yeah. bed with.
3: Also, in in found footage films, for the most part, and I'm a a found footage, I'm a huge found footage fan, Um, you do, for the most part, want to cast actors that people won't recognize. Now, with our distributors, we went back and forth because I've done television for the last um, 18, 19 years or something, but... I'd never done a film before and they said, well, since you're not known as a director, we have to get actors who are, who are recognizable, you know, name actors, name talent. And we did have some name talent lined up for the role of Jacob, who had auditioned and listen, who had also done a really terrific job, but Bailey just kept coming to the surface because regardless of how many auditions or callbacks there were, he kept, he performed it differently. He connected with it differently and it never got old. It was always interesting. And so the big argument that I made at the time before I knew who his father was was, listen, he's 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 a no name, but he's got the talent of the biggest the biggest recognizable actors that we know of his age. Right. And to me, the fact that he didn't have a ton of IMDb credits and he had done a lot of theater and I happen to love theater performers, because I was a, a writer and director of theater before I got into even television. Um, and I love working with actors on that level. And so for us, it was like, holy cow, he do, he's not recognizable. And his dad is, is Anthony Edwards. Like it was it was a match made in heaven. Yeah.
0: I, I also love the fact that you just said you're a found footage uh, fan, because I thought I was the only one here. So thank you <laughs> for that. But you're totally right. I mean, that is what has made the Blair Witch, Paranormal Activity, that's what made them so effective is we didn't know who those characters were. I mean, I remember going to see the Blair Witch and people didn't know if those were real people. <laughs> like when when we first discovered found footage films, it was like, is that was that real? Did I just see something real? So I think that's what makes it more effective.
3: Yeah. And that's how they marketed it in the festivals and everything. It was like missing persons. They went to, There was a court case over the Blair Witch Project yeah, because yeah. They, they said that those actors, they weren't actors, they're were real people and they were still missing. It was genius marketing as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And that wasn't the first you know found footage film, but it was certainly what what pioneered the found footage uh, movement, right?
2: Yeah. So here's a quick question. What's your top found footage film?
3: It's a really good question. Believe it or not, it's not Blair Witch. (laughs) (laughs) I like Blair Witch. Blair Witch, it it did that thing where the the character was actually a cameraman that he was there to document, but he kept shaking the camera constantly and just no cameraman would ever shake the camera. So for me, that kept... (laughs) distracting me and making me think that he was trying to make it look real. Whereas if he was a real cameraman, it wouldn't be that shaky until he, he got the shit scared out of him. But before that, anyway, have you seen the, the journeys? Uh, zero day. I like, you know, there's a lot of, I watched some of the, uh, the very first, as far as I know, uh, found footage film, which was the, um, cannibal hol- holocaust
0: oh yeah that's what i thought you were going to go with <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not my favorite either but but listen yeah. you know they started a movement they created a subgenre that's a very popular subgenre it goes has waves of popularity right now it's getting super popular again because of uh host right but uh i would say probably yeah the i mean listen creep you, you can't get better than yes. creep. creep is yes. awesome <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs>
2: that was a good pick i like that movie yeah creep is great uh if you're a found footage fan i would recommend the last horror movie It's a little dated now uh he goes into a vhs store and he's an actual killer and he's documenting it it's very psychological if you haven't seen it it's one of my favorites it's called the last Horror. yeah what scared me so bad i live by myself and i went to rent it from the v like you know when we had vhs stores you know blockbuster i put it in and then it was a guy who stalked the people that rented the tape and i i like shit myself that night <laughs> it
3: was oh so my
2: bad. god uh, oh, really
3: I, I jotted it down i'll watch it what did you think of cloverfield
2: i liked it
0: i was a big fan at the time yeah uh, i'm i'm more of a fan of uh vhs is one of my favorite found footage
3: yeah. and rec rec
0: yes oh yeah yeah i always i always forget about that one but that's one of my favorites too
3: yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there.
0: There really is. People people sleep on these films. Like I always talk about Hell House LLC, I think is a really good one House of House October Bill or something along those lines. Those are, you know, but everybody gives me a hard time about them. So
3: <laughs> well, Hell House, it was fantastic. I I, I belong to a couple of found footage movie groups on Facebook and the big joke is Hell House. And now Megan is missing because uh because that had suddenly came back because it started trending on Instagram. But <laughs> but Hell House, it's a big joke. Every time someone pops on, like a new a new member of the group pops on and says, Hey, has anyone seen Hell House LLC? And it's like we all hit the laugh yeah, button Yeah, it's like <laughs> How could you not be part of this group and have not seen Hell House? Right, right.
1: Yeah, it's a great film. <laughs> or the sequels. So now being a part of a found footage fan group, what do some of the, the members of the group? Think of your film.
3: Yeah, you know what's so great, um, Brandon, is that I joined this group before I ever made a found footage film. Yep. And so they've known me on there for a while. And mm-hmm. so then once mom came out, of course, people were posting it because there's a lot of posts every day. There's something like 30 or 40 new posts every day. They started posting has anyone seen this movie yet? It looks it looks really scary. And I was wa- just watching it. And then people started connecting me with it. And, and they started saying, oh, the director is one of our members. And so then I got to field a lot of questions, actually, which was pretty cool, because the questions from the found footage group are pretty, um, they're pretty interesting questions, you know, because they know the genre so well. And they know that there's certain rules you you may not want to break if you really want to you know qualify as a found footage film. Like you know all the music you know found footage films aren't scored or they shouldn't be. Right. Like, everything should be sourced within the scene, right? And that's what we did in in Mom, Mothers of Monsters. All of the music that you hear is Jacobs. You know he's playing that from the stereo, or it's playing from the car, or it's coming out of the television. It's all sourced. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't written and recorded in advance, which it was. A lot of the music, uh, which was written and recorded by Sal Salvatore, ended up with something that we connected with early on, and then he recorded it for us, and, and then we played it in the background, and we even rehearsed with it. Bailey and I rehearsed with it.
0: Cool. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, the themes, the theme and in, uh, in mom. So this idea of like a parent with a child who ends up committing, you know, a heinous act, like a school shooting or something. You know, I think we've, we've seen it in a few movies. We Need to Talk About Kevin is one that sticks out to me, uh, which was a really good film. But we never really saw it from the aspect of the parent who's really convinced that they're the sun was like destined for some kind of act. So what made you come up with this idea? And what was it like, what was important to you to try to get across when you were doing this?
3: First of all, we need to talk about Kevin is one of my favorite films in the world. And so obviously that resonated in me because uh, I made a film that was similar, found footage, and also horror. But the difference, of course, being that the mom and and we need to talk about Kevin doubted herself a lot, right? Yeah. She, she was very much like, "Am I a good mom?" You know, and and those exercises with him. And it wasn't towards uh, till towards the end of the film where she realized he might do something. You know, she doesn't want her daughter to go out and, and and play you know the bow and arrows with her son. Whereas in Mom, the film starts off with her saying, "We've got a problem here. You know, I think my son is a psychopath, and you know he's already slipped through the cracks of the of the mental health care system." And he's gone through a, a diversion program and he's outsmarted everybody, his therapists, everyone. And now I'm going to start spying on him to figure out if he is capable of hurting someone, if, he, if he's capable of hurting me, if he's capable of murder. Right. The idea started, I have to say, it was a, a puncturing of my consciousness before it was ever the, an idea for a film, which was that in, in 2012, um, with the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting in Connecticut my uh my sister my whole all my family that's back east and my sister her daughter was supposed to be in Sandy Hook they had and they had enrolled and when i saw that on the news i thought she was in that class and of course that's where a former student killed, yeah. brought a gun into school and mowed down 26 people, right? 20 of them being first graders, which is the grade that my my niece would have been in. And I couldn't get hold of my sister. And I didn't know if my niece was in that classroom or not. And I have to say that that was the most paralyzing, terrifying 24 hours of not knowing if my niece had been killed in that school shooting. And so she wasn't. She wasn't there, thank God. Um, but what I started to do is a lot of research because I could not comprehend how someone could have so much disdain for, for life, for humans yeah. for themselves to go and, and create this kind of, of, of chaos and, and killing people, massacring people. So I started to do a lot of research and the more I researched, the more complicated it became because the issues of, of school shootings, you know, there's all, you know, people think it's, oh, it's, it's, there's, it, there's all kinds of theories across the board, right? It's, it's, it's too much video games. It's, access or lack thereof to mental health. It's, you know, access to military grade weapons. It's single home parenting. What I what I came to the conclusion after reading a lot of, uh, and still reading, memoirs. Um, in fact, listen, a lot of the film was borrowed from the manifestos and memoirs of real school shooters and their parents. There's even dialogue in there that's from the memoirs oh, wow. of, of, of the Columbine shooters. What I learned is that, yes, all those things are relevant, but what it comes down to, in my opinion, is One main thing, which is a fundamental breakdown of communication between a parent and a child, uh, which is also a systemic societal issue, right? Which is, we don't talk to each other anymore. People don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to talk to their kids. And of course, the age of technology, boy, now we're really removed. And to me, the first thing that I thought for many years was racism, which is in the film, which I think is one of the number one things that causes these, these shootings. In fact, across the board, there's not a... What's interesting is there's not a huge profile for what these kids are. There's the profile that we think: oh, they're goth, they have long hair, they don't have friends, they're antisocial, they don't do well in school. It's not necessarily true. I read Sue Claybold's memoir, a-, a Mother's Reckoning, which, and she's the mom of one of the Columbine shooters. Her son did not fit the profile of kids that went and shot up their school, and I thought that was interesting. And I also also wanted to make sure that that message was in there too: that there isn't necessarily a profile because people, parents, who have Troubled teens, especially teen boys, think that they're alone and there's a stigma there, right? Where people don't want to talk about it. Well, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of parents who are going through the same thing. And we don't know yet what causes someone to be a psychopath or, you know, a a, a troubled teen to, to then going and shooting up a school, right? What all of those theories are in there, right? Because it's become a very politicized kind of polarizing issue, which is, oh, it's about mental health care and gun control. So now it's right or left, right? I think it's way more complicated than that. And that's not, you know, talking about it in those terms isn't going to solve anything. Yeah. So for me, what I wanted to do with this film is explore all those theories, uh, racism, single home parenting, all of that over medication. But yet what what the film is grounded in is this lack of communication between one mother and one, and one son. And to me, that is the heart of where the problem stems from. It's about communication. And of course, in this film, you see the consequences that happen with the lack of communication. So that's the main things I wanted to get across. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I wanted to just kind of tail onto that. I'm sure you've probably seen, have you seen Gus Van Sant's Elephant? Yes. So in that film, he kind of gives like more of a one-sided version of it. It would seem like kind of like listening to your, you know, your description, it seems like those, his portrayal was more of like the stereotypical teenagers Kind of the outcasts didn't really, you know, show too much about their parental involvement. Now, do you think that's that's an accurate portrayal? Do you think it's callous to portray it that way? Because you know, how many teenagers are outcasts in that way and never going never going to do an act like that? Like, do you think that's something they a uh, the director should have to should have awareness of?
3: I you will very rarely find me criticizing another artist, another director. Sure. Uh, I don't think it was callous. I think that it was. It was probably the easier go-to because statistically, there are certain traits that happen to be in common, but, but people don't ever, you know, peel back the layers of the onion and actually look at what's really happening. And, it, you know, Elephant gives birth to films like Mom, in my opinion, sure. right? Because yeah. every time you see a film that talks about this, then you are talking about it. And then, therefore there's a chance a sliver a sliver of hope for change right you know it's become so politicized that that people aren't talking about it enough and therefore there's no meaningful change being enacted on any level so i actually give props to that film for keeping keeping that topic you know in 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 conversation we're talking about it right now right yeah so i don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to approach well, there is a right way or a wrong way to approach the <laughs> subject matter, but I don't think there was anything wrong with what Elephant was about. I think that sure. it was a, a, a launching point, a springboard for additional conversations and, and maybe a deeper re- reflection, you know? Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't want to misrepresent this film to your, to your <laughs> listeners because, listen, at the end of the day, it's a horror film. It is yeah. a psychological thriller, very dark and disturbing psychological thriller, and the, there is there, there's no political messaging actually. You know what I mean? It's much more about their very dysfunctional relationship. There happens to be, you know, it happens to be personal for me, the, the writer and director. Mm-hmm. Myself.
0: I, and I guess that I wanted to just kind of tail this and extend this to both of you. With that being said, it is a horror film and you're going for certain aspects when you're doing that, when you're shooting a horror film. Now, what was like, how was it for you trying to not be insensitive to the topic as well? Like to take, to try to avoid taking it too far Was did you guys feel any pressure of that, like trying if film, filming a film that could be considered pretty divisive if you did one r- move that somebody was offended by. And I, I'll extend that to both of you because Bailey, you're essentially portraying the individual that you know everybody's kind of like looking at as that stereotype of the psychopath.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that it was such, you know, like it, I feel so lucky to have been a part of this. I'll just start there. I think that working, like, from day one, working with Tusia was such a such a treat for me. And it's been like this adventure that we've really gone on in from the shooting all the way through the edit through where it is today. And as a result, I just felt so lucky that there was someone, a writer director, who had really done the work, had done the research, had built out the colors of this world. Because then as an actor, you walk into a fully formed world. And I think my uh, the prime sort of example of that being that, like, given the nature of it being a found footage film, there'd be certain scenes. There's this scene where Abby's trying to, like, have a conversation with Jacob. And we moved from room to room to room to room, to room in that house. And it's such a perfect metaphor for how I feel about the whole process of this, because that was a whole world. That was a house that we were in. Mm-hmm. And to see I had down to the colors of the walls, to the things that I was carrying in my pocket to what, like my backpack, every element of that world was so perfectly made that she called action and I stepped into that house and I was in that house with my mom and all the background, all the information I needed to know about what was going on here had been created. And it became sort of, to your point, you see a very theatrical and I think speaks to both of our sort of theatrical worlds wherein action was called and we entered this space and we did that whole scene moving room to room to room living in that space together. And I think that ultimately when it comes down to it, you know, that we talk about all these influences, we talk about the memoirs, we talk about the world that was built around this, but it is a relationship between a mother and a son. And that's human and true. And regardless of the traumas and the shit that Jacob is going through, there's a fundamental humanity and a breakdown that's happened there. And as an actor, that's right where you lock in. All the other colors and whistles and fun sh- stuff I got to say and things that, like you know, the the music and the background reading that Tusia was sending me were all amazing colors to add to that. But at the end of the day, Tusia created a world where we could also explore something like utterly, utterly human, and as the film sort of shows, really, really broken.
3: Yeah. yeah. And uh, thank you, Bailey. I miss you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh this. Um, I, I will say that, you know, what I struggled with most with how to tell this story and how to contribute to that national uh, dialogue about school shooters and, and what may or may not be causing them was how not to sensationalize the topic, right? Because at the end of the day, you what you cannot do as any, anybody, any responsible filmmaker, but any resp- responsible human is you can't uh, sensationalize it, you can't glorify it, you can't inspire copycats, Right. So you'll you'll see in the film, you know, and even when I speak about it, or, or the articles that have been written, we never say the names of the shooters. In fact, that's part of the dialogue, um, part of the audio that comes out of the television is don't glorify these shooters by saying their name. It's easy to miss. There's a lot that's easy to miss. I think that's why they're calling it a cult classic because. Although it's not called classic yet because it's only 2020, but there's a lot of layers to the film. And if you're listening to the audio track, there's a lot of clues in there. But I do think that sensationalizing the topic or having people, you know, the critical reception be someone misinterpreting uh, where we were coming from in this film kept me up at night quite a bit. We did partner early on before we even finished casting in in, in the script phases. We did partner with several mental health organizations, nonprofits, uh, IVAT and uh, NPEIV so that they would vet the script. They were actually on set. Some of their voices are the voices that you're hearing out of the television. They're, they're the hosts that are speaking about mental illness. And they were with us kind of every step of the way to help me make sure that I wasn't sensationalizing it and make sure that it was grounded in reality, even down to the casting, like the, the casting of Ed Asner, of course, who plays Dr. Arden. They, we had a couple of people in mind and the, the head of, of uh, the, one of the co-founders of IVAT, IVAT, by the way, said to me, you know, because this therapist doesn't do a great job, right? You know, he's trying to interpret her dreams and he's not, and he's pointing the finger at her and he's not necessarily listening, actively listening to her. It would be great if you could cast an older, an older actor to play that role. Because what's happening in therapy and and psychiatry and mental health right now is there's a lot of what, what she called dinosaurs who are giving advice, but they're not necessarily listening. And they're not necessarily basing it on what they're hearing or experiencing. They're basing it on an old uh, philosophy. So it'd be yeah. great if you cast an older character, an older man character in that role. And I was like, once we found Ed Asner, I said, is like between 80 and 90 old enough. <laughs> you know? uh, so they, uh, provided a lot of support and information and, and resources along the way so that we didn't cross that line you no know?
2: that's great that's really awesome the uh, so you were t- you were talking about uh, acting and this question is as for Bailey there was there was a, a lot of scenes where you were by yourself where you didn't have anybody to work off of really and the dynamic between you and your mother was awesome in the film and you can see how you guys worked off each other really well uh, you can see that chemistry But then when you were by yourself, it was completely different. How was that acting like by yourself without being able to work like off anybody?
4: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think that First Testament goes to melinda who played my mother melinda page hamilton who's wonderfully wonderfully talented and was another much like to see there's so many elements of this that feel like weirdly faded to me like was to a person who like from my first work session audition with her was like oh my god this like there's you know like beyond the fact that like we both grew up in new york there are all these weird little things in common this was an actor whose work and the way she worked completely like was in sync with mine and so then to have that person and you're you know working on this for Couple for weeks together and we're in this house together, it's very easy to have the ghost of that brought back to life for you when you have this new sort of acting mom to play with. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, there were also still a lot of me and a camera and a closet moment that I think weirdly became an interesting acting exercise in itself to see us sort of touched on this. But when In this day and age, in this moment of like mediated technological distance, that became very real and realized in the actual performance of it. You're you're working with a camera, not even a real person. You're talking to a screen, not another human being. And so when you're feeding into these feelings of not being understood, being completely separate, not being able to connect with a family member, another person that's all the fuel you need. You're talking to a camera. You're not even talking to the woman. And I think that that, to see a point this out a long, forever ago, where there's the moments where we are actually together are very rare in the film. And it's that great big blind spot for Abby, the mom, that she never is really talking to her son. And so as an actor, it was a challenge, but weirdly the perfect thing to cultivate that kind of disassociation.
1: Now, Bailey, what was the preparation like for becoming Jacob?
4: I got the role in the beginning of December. And luckily, we had a little bit of time. We started and we were going to start shooting in January. So I started like hit the ground running as another happenstance would be lived six minutes away from (laughs) Lucia. And I started being able to just go over to her house and... Start working on it and start talking about it and having her be able to send me music, memoirs, things for me to read to start percolating on what this boy could be. And I think that there's like a very, it's tricky, but there's a very, you know, it's a very easy thing when it comes to like, okay, you're going to play this psychopathic character. characters like these this psychopathy around like like there's he's a sociopath we don't know but you know like it's very easy to get then caught up in the magic sort of showiness of that of the laughing and then going very serious and dead behind the eyes I and mean, this sort of outside inning of this boy mm-hmm. and I keep referring to him as boy because that's the part that was my step into them is the youth and the like teenageness of this character and the Fact is, and you know, spoilers, that this is also a character who is performing a lot. Yeah. So weirdly, even though this was a boy who is going to be... I read the script and knew where the terrifying world this was going into, it had to start from a place of like a scared, defensive, angry, angry, angry boy. And those are all feelings that we can all get on board with. And these questions of whether or not he's a psychopath, these questions of whether or not you have to be a psychopath to do psychopathic things. Those are the questions that the movies brings up and are at play in this. But in terms of getting involved with this character, I had all the the amazing research and world and videos and interviews that Tusia could filter my way, um, while also just remembering that this is a angry, angry, alone, Deeply, deeply sad teenage boy who is feeling trapped and those feel that humanity that feeling was like the way into understanding someone who also on some level might not be feeling
1: anything. Every year we have to watch videos for trainings, real life issues where we, we discuss as a group all the cues and triggers that we could identify in, in a short film where we had to just kind of like pick it apart at the end. And So I think that you guys did really well on that.
3: Thank you, Brandon. I take that as a huge, huge compliment, by the way. Yeah. Um, because it's such you. a... It's such a fine line. It's such a gray area. And you do want to, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you might get a kick out of this, uh, Brandon, if you work in in mental health at all, everything we did was catered to secretly. Most people don't know this, will never know this and may not even care. But was catered to mental mental health meaning the color scheme the p- color palette of the film is lime green which as you know is the color of of mental health awareness their last name is bell right which is a symbol of hope and mental health um every there's there's bells planted throughout the film um everything that we did even though i knew and i remember the producer saying to me why do you care so much like why does it have to follow this thing that you're doing and i'm like for my own integrity because on every level, we have to maintain our integrity about, it is about uh, mental health. Not that mental health is solely the problem, which it's not, but certainly it plays a very, very big role. And I wanted to make sure that I was true to that on, on every level throughout the entire process from set design, for writing set design, and of course, directing and even in post. So uh, that's a huge compliment from you. And I appreciate it.
1: Problem,
4: Yeah. And if I, a tiny interjection here, I mean, like, this is literally the reason why you have people who love horror, who love sound footage make movies because they imbue movies with yeah. this level of care and this level of detail. And that as an act I mean as an actor, I was thrilled to go on somebody else's adventure because they and it had built out this incredible adventure. And she freaking loves <laughs> sound <laughs> footage. She loves horror films. And so she was going to make this such a rich and layered down to the Semantic, the the colors, the thing, every layer of it was going to be taken care of because this is a world that she's passionate about, knows, and was ready to like absolutely explode on. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I I just want to also kind of like tail on that. I think another reason why this movie is going to is is being well received outside of like the film itself is also you you both are doing a great job with connecting with fans, which this horror community eats that up (laughs) like that goes so far with us as far as like, you know, just feeling like not only do we have this movie to connect to, but we also now feel this connection with the creators, the actors. Um, So, you know, just as horror fans, you know, we really appreciate that as well. So, you know, that's why it means something when you guys come to onto an interview. And, you know, when I say I'm glad, we, I'm surprised we were able to put this together, I really am. It's like, you know, not every cast and crew is willing to do that of every film. So it, it means a lot to us.
3: Yeah, and you know what, Dave, it's so interesting because because we do get quite a bit of, of requests for um for podcasts or even written interviews, or I mean, no longer do we do in-person interviews. <laughs> the film opened on march on friday the 13th of march uh, and the city closed down that night and theaters closed that sunday so we had three days in theaters which was a real uh gut punch but nonetheless when we do get those requests for podcasts my very first question to our pr team is are they part of the of the hashtag horror fam or not and when they're part of the of the horror fam it means a lot to me because I know that they're watching from a different place, and you can see on all of our feeds on on Twitter and and Instagram and and Facebook, people who aren't a lot of people, some people who aren't <laughs> horror fans are like, I didn't get it. It was it was slow. All these things, and I I look them up. You know, for the most part, I'll look them up and I'll see that they don't. They're not horror. They don't understand horror. They don't have those sure. same kinds of of sensibilities or experience in that in that genre. And then when I when I see their comments, I'm like, eh. but when but when I see a comment from a horror fan, I'm like, oh, I, I wish that the third act had been such or such, and I see that they're you know in their profile it says hashtag horror or horror fam, I'll be I'll, I'll take them more seriously. Like, I'll actually I'll look at I'll look at them and I'll be like, oh, really? Could it have been? I'm not sure, but I will consider it, which is interesting. Yeah. And and so we love our our horror fans as much as our horror fans love us. You know, that's awesome.
2: Awesome. I take full credit. I saw it first. No, and I you said, did, did not you to see this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs>
0: the uh, and oh, then
2: wow. it, it, it was pretty awesome because we we all really liked it. So then you know that led to this, which is so, a first,
0: actually, right? Isn't that a first? Yeah, of all three we of did us all three Came to a consensus.
2: Too much. <laughs> so and the uh,
3: let me ask you: Did you did uh, any of you watch it more than once before you really liked it?
2: I liked no, it I liked it the first go around. Yeah, same. And,
3: you guys are so evolved.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was really uh, it was really interesting for me, which kind of ties into this next question too. Like, so in the beginning of the film, you think Jacob really is a psychopath, given some of the stuff that spoiler know, Oh, know, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So the scene where he throws the brick off the bridge and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this kid really is messed up, you know? And uh, it it evolves. Where it's like, now the mother, the more you watch, the more you realize the mother is really off. And uh, it, it just evolves from the son. And you're like, oh, the son's a psychopath. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, wait a minute, the mom's a psychopath. And uh, the way the way it just built was really interesting, but it, it was awesome the way it, it got built. And the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, this this is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and the question there was, was it hard to get it's so perfectly lined up like that.
3: Yes. It was like, I lost a lot of weight and I think my hair is going gray. (laughs) (laughs) It it was, it was. And and I have to tell you, Joshua, like there was a lot in the film that actually wasn't in the original script, meaning we actually did stay pretty true to the script of what we uh, filmed with Abby and with, and with Jacob. But all of that, documentary footage so we did a lot of screenings early on with our horror well well, with all of our film friends and and television films but also with a lot of our horror uh friends and community and a lot of people had said well what is jacob like when he's not at home and we thought well how on earth would we be able to capture that and still stay true to the found footage format which is there's got to be a reason for filming there's got to be a reason for someone to be looking at the film." And I talked about it with, with Bailey, and, and Bailey put me in touch with uh, a director friend of his named Mark Polish, who is an extraordinary director. And he had said to me, you know, listen, we need to be aware that there is a monster in the house, whether or not you know who that monster is. There is a monster in the house. We need to be aware of it right away, and it needs to be there the whole time. And so we thought, well, how would we start to show? what Jacob is like outside of the home. And some a lot of people miss this um, and it's easily missable, I should say. But when Abby, you know, when she's checking on her desktop you'll see a file on there that's called Jacob's iCloud. So she has hacked in and has access to his iCloud. So that when we figured that out, like it could actually make sense. We could actually do it because, you know I don't want to say I've done it before but may I may or may not have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know there's kids there you know when you have kids or uh, or you have sisters with kids you you, oh, you i, I tend have tend kids
2: to, you don't need to explain
3: right you tend to uh, <laughs> spy and feel okay about it so we realized if she had access there, were, there was multiple scenes that were cut out of the film too one of them was her actually getting access through a software program once she has access to his iCloud she has access to the videos on his phone we thought well what kind of videos would be on his phone So then we went out and filmed, after the film was already wrapped, um, during the the rough cut, rough cut two phase, we went out and filmed Jacob Bailey doing things with his friends. And one of the producers said to me, you know, you're going to think I'm a jerk for saying this, but my brother uh, in high school, he dropped a brick off of a freeway overpass. Um, And and it's so not like him because he's such an evolved kind of intellectual guy, but he was a jerk. He was a teen and this happens. And I thought, no, that's perfect. In fact, let's ask all of our crew members, all of our cast members, what's the jerkiest thing you or one of your siblings have ever done? And then let's let's make Jacob do it. (laughs) Right. And have it be his friends videotaping him. And now she has access to his iCloud so we can actually play that and still stay true to the format. So that's what we did. Uh, And then we, of course, that was never scripted in the original script that came afterwards. And the other thing that came afterwards was documentary footage of of Jacob, who's Bailey, as a kid. We thought, you know, if mom, when did mom become obsessed with filming him? Right. And it couldn't have started just when he was. 16, right? What happened when he was 14 and went to the diversion program and it was maybe, you know, ha- had maps and and bump stocks and things of, of, of perhaps, you know, suggesting he was going to shoot up his school at 14. And then we thought, I, I had said, no, no, because I know this character in and out. I've dreamed about her and lived her for years. I said, no, she's been filming him since he was a kid. Well, where are those videos? Well, how the heck are we going to cast an actor who looks like Bailey or Jacob <laughs> as a kid? And we called up Bailey. I called up Bailey and I said, do you have any uh, footage of yourself, like home video from when you were a kid? And were you ever creepy? <laughs> <laughs> and him and his dad, and was it your mom too, Bailey? Maybe you could speak to this, that we got quite a few tapes, the little tapes, right? That you and I sat in my living room right here, went through and 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 played what mom, uh, Abby, could be really saying during these videos that were actually harmless. But of course, in the film, once you dub in, uh Melinda's voice, you realize, oh my God, she's been obsessed with filling sure. in since he's a kid and who nature or nurture what prompted him to to behave this way. Yeah, Bailey, what th- all those videos oh, that's <laughs> how, how have your parents reacted to those videos where they're like, oh my God, my voice is in the video and the film and everyone's seeing it and they think I'm a psycho. Yeah.
4: I mean, you know, my parents I sort of got over their film tears a long time ago, but I will say that this is the weird blessing of being the firstborn child is that I am the most well-documented
2: <laughs> little
4: kid. Like this is that we pulled so many clips for the film and there's so much more. There's like, I have like hours and hours of footage of me as a little kid because my parents, you know, like when you have your first little kid in the world, everything they do is magical. Even if it's, you know, shutting themselves and rolling down a hill like that. All of it's amazing, and so they, um, so yeah, so we. I mean, it was lucky. Happens very filmy parents, but the, um, but what I love too, also in the space of horror fans and people who have reached out to me about the film and stuff, which you know, in this pandemic we're living in, is great. Feels great when you're like, I don't know when I'll ever act again, but the no, the not knowing, like, is that actually you as a child? Is that not because obviously it looks exactly like me, it is me, yeah. but with such, I just like, I, that's like one of my favorite parts of this was this, you know, to see it taking all these component pieces. And, you know, I've worked with other filmmakers or other situations where people can get really caught up in the preciousness of what they shot and what they intended to shoot and what they had written and like their vision and they moving forward with it. but this responsive way in which to see was even able to like step back from her own work and respond to it and be like, is what is working? What's not working? What do we need more of? What do we want to see? What are we missing yeah. here? That is such a perfect part of that to me, which was like, let's look at something like real footage of you as a kid and see how we can spin it, how we can twist. Because I was a lo- I was a lovely child. Okay, <laughs> I, was, I was a very sweet little
0: kid. You gotta admit, you're a pretty adorable kid. You're definitely a pretty adorable. <laughs> yeah. Kid.
4: Okay. I will. <laughs> I had long blonde hair it was the whole thing. <laughs> but to see, a, w- like, with that vision, with knowing what she needed to see out of Jacob and what yeah. we needed to see out of Jacob to chart that experience across the film of, oh, it's him. Oh, it's her. Oh, it's him. Oh, it's her. That cra- the craziness of that she was ready to use everything and find the right tools in order to make that happen.
0: Yeah. Want to say like that, the scene that you guys referenced already with the throwing the brick, I like for me, that was like such a, it was a, it was a short scene. It was, it was strong to me though, because it's like, as much as I know in the moment, I know it was trying to portray evil. He was doing evil deeds already. But at the same time, I had that thought like, oh man, I've done some stupid, dangerous stuff in my past that like I would look back now and probably never admit to anybody that I did. um, And that could easily be chalked up to one of those. So it was interesting. Like we were supposed to see it one way, but then you can also have that thought like, well, any teenager might do something without thinking of like the ramifications of it. I also, I just wanted to share quickly too, um, something that resonated with me during the film. So I've been doing therapy with kids and I also have to work with their parents and this idea that their parents are so concerned that they are going to have, that they might have something, their kid might have something that they had, such as like depression or, you know, any mental health diagnosis. And there's, they're, they come in and they're very concerned. They want this like they want this explanation. Like, do you feel the same? Do you, do you see this in my child? And like, that's kind of what I, what the mom in the, in this movie, like I, I connected with her on that. Like she had this concern. She just didn't know exactly how to express it. And she had her own therapist, but he wasn't really listening as we've already talked about. So she was just like making these videos to kind of prove her case, but it was really like, she was just concerned because she knew what she struggled with. And I I just thought that was so such a strong message. It really connected with that with, with me. So I, I appreciated that.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, listen. There is, there is. Uh, genetics are are obviously evolved. It's both nature and nurture. But I do think that 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 we can change the course of things through treatment. Right? There's yeah. there's social emotional learning programs now that I think should be you know implemented not just in schools but in communities. Right? It teach.es The community, not just parents, not just kids, but everyone. But there's also you know there's untreated trauma. If you don't have you know, medication, and sure, there's an argument to be made that there's over medication. But if you don't have therapists, if you don't have all of those resources or access to them, untreated trauma does manifest, right, as more untreated trauma. So those themes are in there as well, because clearly, as you realize, which, it, you know, it's hinted into with the trailer, you know, people watch the trailer and they're like, I think I understand what the film's about. I think mom might be crazy too. <laughs> and I'm like, Good. I'm glad you got that. We worked real hard to get that <laughs> into the trail, right? Yeah. Um because obviously we we want that kind of mental uh roller coaster ride of what it right, might really be like to mm-hmm. think it's him and then be wondering, well could it be me? Well my mom is saying it me, it's me and my therapist is saying, "Hey, yeah. do you remember the pictures you drew when you were a kid?" And I'm like yeah you know? and then of course, you realize that Abby's keeping a big secret in the film that mm-hmm. isn't revealed until much later in the film where you realize all of these things contribute to where she's at, which may also be contributing to where he where he's at, you know.
1: And that's what I was saying, too, with Jacob and Abby, their relationship was built off of negative attention. She was always trying to catch him in the act of doing something wrong instead of focusing on the positive interactions with Jacob. There was a deleted scene that you guys had. Why was the Mother's Day scene deleted? It kind of shows Abby praising Jacob for never forgetting Mother's Day. And then she holds up the flowers and says, well, it's nice to think that he loves me.
3: Oh, my God. We've got an astute viewer right here. (laughs) (laughs) That was a deleted scene, and I think he knows that because I think we we may have promoted that uh, for Mother's Day, maybe. There were a lot of scenes, so when we made the film, of course, I had it all in my head how it was all going to play, and then uh I, I we start i started playing with you know the, the talent of bailey and, and melinda and what they brought to it and of course that expanded some things and the, you mm-hmm. know stuff that transpired in the closet became a little longer and deeper and scarier than i had maybe originally imagined so then we had to make room for that right when you, when you make a film mm-hmm. if something magical happens and you can recognize that that's happening you want to include that in the film but of course you're you know you don't want to go over a 95 minute clock or whatever it is so we had to then make room for it so we had to start taking things away and of course in, in the edit it becomes a house of cards especially when we when we decided after the first you know four or five screenings crap we have to now add jacob with his friends and now jacob but he's a toddler so you have to make room for all of that so we had to figure out strategically what had to come out and that was one of the scenes that came out which was the mother's day scene and several other scenes which will i'm sure they're going to promote soon because they're edited (laughs) but yeah that scene came out because it wasn't as important as some of the other scenes where you know you you saw jacob put a blanket over his mom and he also made breakfast for his mom in that scene which is also (laughs) deleted but you see him uh be affectionate to her which which triggers in your head okay but it's but everyone thinks that that uh psychopaths are, are incapable of emotion right And I don't want to give away if he was a psychopath or not, but you, but we did want to plant and kind of seed. This kid is capable of, 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 of emotion and affection and and care and nurturing towards his mom, you know, and that became more important. So we had to lose some, you know, kill some babies along the way.
1: When she also labeled him as fake Jacob, when she talked about all the positive things, like hanging with his friends and grades in school and stuff like that. So, you know, you would see like how she would try to split him and try to make him bad when he was also doing positive things.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that came directly from uh, Sue Claybold's uh, memoir. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and she was the mom of one of the Columbine shooters where she, he didn't fit the profile. And, and at one point she asked like, is he, is he being fake to me or, or to his friends? Like who's the real, and I don't want to use his name, but who's the real, my real son. And so I wanted to incorporate that into the film because of course, you know, all these moms who have troubled teens feel like they're alone. And I, I alone, and I have so many friends and, you know, even college friends who are like, oh, my God, I think my kid might be be capable of such and such. She's such a freak. Listen, you guys, we put an 800 number at the end of the film, which we debated quite a bit about putting it there because I didn't want it to be a social messaging film. Uh, not not overtly. And we ended up putting that number there. That number in the first three months, the film being released earlier this year was inundated with calls to the point where they had to call us and say, you have to give another number because we don't have enough people to answer these emergency calls and and I said well what are what are the calls moms who feel like their sons are dangerous and realize oh there's resources for this I'm not alone I mean to me I mean as sad as that is it it was also like that's why one of the main reasons why I made the film was so people didn't know moms parents but a lot of single moms uh didn't know you know didn't think that they were alone and realized a lot of people are having this problem and there's resources out there that can provide help you know
2: that's really cool so this is a big spoiler for anybody listening if you haven't watched this film turn it off watch it and then come back and listen to this there was one question i did have and as a father i have a teenage daughter and my son is now 10 uh Brandon's also a dad he's got a teenager so I watched this film and when the mom inadvertently so as to speak kills her son I was like
1: what the fuck
2: like it just blew me away and I I couldn't imagine I I couldn't imagine losing a kid
3: killing your kid
2: Uh, yeah that I was like damn did you catch any slack for that from anybody or was there anybody who was like oh that wasn't right or anything like that i was just curious
3: yes thank god most people are like holy cow how is that a solution which is exactly what i want them to ask because i have to say there were five endings to the, that film to this film the ending was not my idea meaning i was part of a facebook group who, who were the sandy hook family survivors you know people who had their kids were either killed or survived the sandy hook shooting in connecticut in 2012 and the parents were so angry understandably so um and there was one dad whose kid had survived was in the classroom and survived who said if i the i don't want to give their names but the 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 kid who shot up Sandy Hook was deeply deeply troubled right he was on a lot of meds he could not socialize he had a lot of problems his mom knew it his dad knew it his mom his dad moved out mom was raising him how they connected was at the shooting range right she got him loads of guns and they went to the shooting range and they shot and they felt connected. Nothing wrong with, with shooting ranges, by the way, or guns. Uh, in fact, the producers, are all NRA members, and I have no problem with that. Military grade, you know, access to military grade weapons are a little bit more problematic. There was one dad on this Facebook group who said, if I was, at, was this kid's father or mother, and I knew how troubled he was, and I had any idea that he would go and hurt those kids, I would have shot him myself. And it was an uproar, mostly from me, on that Facebook thread where I said, how is that a solution? You're going to kill your kid? Like, how is that even possibly a solution? How does that help anything? How does that evolve us as a species, right? And a lot of people fought against me, saying, you didn't have a kid there. You know, your niece wasn't actually there. So you don't know how it feels to have a child killed or almost killed there, really. And they were right. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, what would that look like? if a, if a, if a mom killed her, her son to intervene on potentially him shooting up his school, what would that look like? And obviously it's a very, very poor solution, right? And it comes from untreated trauma on her part as well and grandma's part and, and the system. And so when people say, when people are outraged about that ending, I say, rah, 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 they're getting it. That's right. That is certainly not a solution, right? (laughs) Yeah. But this is what people who are affected by that are are suggesting. Some people as as a, as a solution, and so that's kind of was the impetus of the film, which was, hey guys, what would that solution really look like, right? How horrifying would that be? Of course, now she's been in the closet. Spoiler alert, but she's been in the closet for, uh, you know, almost three days now. She hasn't been no nourishment she hasn't slept she hasn't had any food any water so obviously things are are getting to her and she's unstable from the beginning so a lot of things contributed to that final act of violence but at the end of the day some people are outraged but most people get where we were coming from and what we were trying to say yeah
2: uh and then i i kind of wanted to get bailey's take on it too
3: oh yeah i mean i you know
4: it's horrific it's really horrific, and I remember in the edit of it and talking to Tusia and different people's reactions to it. There was so there was a there was litigation around like what we should see, how intense it should be, how gory, not gory, what we should and shouldn't hear, and you know it was it was that thing where you just know that like we have to understand the perversity of this, we have to understand how horrific this is beyond the realm of pulpy horror, beyond the realm of titillating thriller what what has gone so horribly wrong here that this is where we've gotten to and it's really interesting because to me even the first time i read the script there's it's almost like almost like greek classically in its actual nature it's agamemnon it's terror of a prophecy leading you to kill your child being told like the fear of the future the fear of what will come or the f- the knowledge of what must happen or what is to come Leading a parent to kill a child for an interfamilial violence to happen. And it's so, and I bring up Greek classical because it's across our history. It's across our culture. It's across our Western world that this is like this kind of interfamily violence, this kind of danger, this, the flip sides of love and hate and the possibility for really, really horrific things to co- happen inside of the safety and the nest of the home is something we do have to reckon with and as these things continue to happen not losing sight of the horror of that not losing sight of for one of the rare moments in this film when the two bodies are actually going to come together that the violent act of that is something that we should be shocked by reflect on and think about the way in which it happens in our
3: world yeah you guys that scene was originally a lot bloodier I mean, we had all kinds of special effects, makeup artists and assistants and assistants of assistants to make that blood spurt on the walls, gory, gory. And then when we were in edit, it just didn't seem necessary. It just didn't. And as a horror horror guru, I was like, but no, we have to do it. That's why I made the film. But it didn't seem to kind of maintain the integrity of, you know, the the backbone of the film. So we ended up cutting it down and, you can see something spray on the wall. You can see some of that. But um, we took it out because it didn't seem, because it actually played into sensationalizing it. And I had to be true to that. So as much as it like, no pun intended, but tore my heart out to lose all <laughs> my blood, I think the act of, and him laughing during, which obviously was, you know, is a, is a callback to her recurring nightmare, right? Was enough, I thought. It was powerful enough to not have to see as, as much gore as I, I had initially intended and paid for. <laughs>
4: <laughs> also very Greek classical to have the violence occurring just, just off screen. Yeah. She's very smart, this one. <laughs> she really, she really, she gets it all.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so now we found out that you're a big fan of found footage. Also, we talked about cannibal holocaust. And now it was another question Josh wanted to bring up about... Uh- Oh, yeah.
2: Rats. (laughs) Yeah, Brandon's going to elaborate on this. Uh, Were there any animals harmed in the filming of this film?
3: (laughs) (laughs) No. And I have to tell you, uh, we're all animal rights activists. My wife is an animal rights activist. And so not only were animals not harmed, but we rescued them during the process. Meaning, we needed a a, 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 lizard, a bearded dragon lizard, right? Named sure. Adolf for for Jacob to have. <laughs> Adolf, you know, Junior and Junior Junior. And so we went to the pet stores, and these lizards looked really uh, happy and content. And we were like, "Crap!" Uh, maybe we, one of the producers uh, uh, had the idea of maybe we should go to Craigslist and see if we can rescue. <laughs> a lizard, and boy, I thought that was a terrific idea. So we did, and we got this dilapidated, little shriveled, sad. What I we <laughs> really thought was an ancient, old lizard. And we, you know, got him a tank and helped him and gave him baths. I've never given a bearded dragon a bath, but boy, is that rewarding. <laughs> and uh, now this lizard is like this big and the producers, uh, not only did we film with him, but then we got him all kinds of lights and every single insect that's in those scenes, the crickets, he ate them all. And now he lives, the, the producers, uh, one of the producers adopt, well, both producers, the husband and wife duo adopted the the bearded dragon. And now he lives in a giant cage, a giant <laughs> (laughs) aquarium and they send me pictures every once in a while i've got to post some on our on our social media i got to give it to wendy but uh where this this lizard is gigantic now and very very happy and as far as the rats we had to get taxidermy rats because there's some violent scenes with uh jacob when he blows a tantrum with the rats and obviously he's named them you know, volt 100 and volt 200. He's named them based on the the experiments he's doing with how much electricity they can withstand. And so we we filmed with the rats first, and then we had to film the the scenes where he hurts the rats. So the biggest challenge, uh, which I'm going to blame on our producers entirely, is well, how do we find a rat that has a white stomach, like the one that we actually the live ones that we actually filmed with? So they had to go to different taxidermy companies and. Finally get some taxidermy rats that have white stomachs um, and we used those rats for the seeds. There, there is a very, Joshua, you would enjoy, I'll send it to you if you if you guys send me your emails. There's a blooper that we published yeah. on one of our well, social media accounts. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the blooper, uh, Bailey, because you were <laughs> the victim of it. Yeah,
4: <laughs> it was unbelievable. Believable. it was so it's at the very end of this very long scene that we'd done moving from room to room in the house and we had to do like a in order to keep the scene going we had to do a little switch out so I get rid of the real rat and then go back and go get a taxi and then pick up a taxi taxidermy rat because at the end of the scene I'm gonna this, oh god I'm gonna throw the rat back into the cage and obviously I'm not gonna throw a adorable live rat into a glass aquarium across the room. Um, so I go to get the taxidermy rack. I'm sitting there. I can't even, I'm trying to even remember what the line was, but it's we're, it's the peak of the scene of the intensity of like me mocking my Abby, my mom, and her. She says you know, to
3: like, you, what is wrong with you?
4: Oh, yeah. What <laughs> is wrong with you? And then I tell her to like shut off her alarm because it's like really fucking annoying or whatever ki- bitchy little thing Jacob says. <laughs> and we're, we're right there. We're right in it. We're really just acting just acting big time um and i'm sitting there with a fake taxidermy rat in my lap knowing full well there's a camera right here and out of the corner of both melinda and my eyes at the same, we're looking we're locked eyes but we can see crawling into frame is the live rat having fully escaped wherever he was being held and we're just we're trying to do we're just like trying to stay there we're like trying everything we can to stay there and he just keeps coming and then we just watch it like <laughs> <would> not <laughs> handle the fact that we had been you know our chicanery had been foiled by a, uh, a live rat.
3: because obviously in, in acting or any film set or, or theater you, you never want to cut yourself right until the director calls cut and lots of times there's magic that happens when the actors don't think they're doing a good job but I think the fact that they're fucking up and stuttering or whatever it is I think it's magic right so we you know we, we always try not to cut ourselves and so what we could see, we had two cameras on this on the on the scene. We could see that he's holding this fake, you know, dead taxidermy rat. And the real rat is <laughs> running through. But I wasn't calling cut because I think we were all in Video Village with our four camera four big monitors up. And I was looking and I could see the rat. And I kept thinking, oh, I can still use the other angle. I can still use the other angle because I'm editing in my head. And then all of a sudden these two, uh, Bailey and Melinda, just were like in the, the like you said, the height of the scene, they're like. Bah! and the poor stunt coordinator was like i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) it got out of my hand so no i mean there was there definitely was there were no animals harmed in fact we even made quite an effort to let uh crickets that i'm trying to remember the name of uh the the lizard now what's the name um remember bailey it's been a little while his real
4: name is um nugget nugget
3: nugget nugget because he was a small nugget now he's a big nugget that nugget didn't That you know the the the, the crickets that Nugget didn't eat, uh, we made uh, sure that we let them go. So no, nothing, not even insects were harmed in this film.
2: Nice, nice, that's good. Yeah, Yeah. we uh, we have a hedgehog and I let my crickets go that the hedgehog didn't eat. So now I have crickets in my basement.
1: So when things were a little normal, we would always do like movie nights and everything, and then we would help raise money for uh, animal rescues and everything like that. So. We're really animal-driven, so we're glad yeah. nothing happened to none of the pets.
3: <laughs> no, and it hurt me to re- even Not write those on. scenes, but yeah, I mean, every towel in our house that's ever been around for more than a few years mm-hmm. is at the, the local uh, pet veterinary, yeah. Nice, nice.
2: Speaking um, of pet, completely off-topic, before we go any further, guys, I forgot to tell you, we, we adopted uh, two kittens, uh, oh. one for oh. each of the kids, and we haven't gotten them yet because uh, they're still, I think their their mom passed, so they were uh, being fed with bottles and stuff, but we're going to pick them up this week. So that is the big news in the Dollin household. <laughs> Congrats, well, it, Josh. I, I, I picked this moment in this interview to tell you guys the big Congrats, news. Josh. I,
3: totally I like it. I like it. it. And kind it. of a
0: depressing twist with the mom thing, but awesome on the kitten.
1: <laughs> Gosh, you can name them Abby and Jacob. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the kids are in charge. The kids are in charge.
3: Yeah, don't, don't just, let, the kids, don't the, let the kids watch
2: the movie. Don't let the kids <laughs> watch the movie. No, well, <laughs> we we got puppies before, and my son named one of the puppies uh, Chief Brody from Jaws. So that's got to tell you where my kids are at. So wow. Love that. I was
3: I, I was a kid when Jaws uh, at Manemsha on Martha's Vineyard because it was filmed on Martha's Vineyard yeah. and Jaws was kept in this the fake mechanical Jaws was kept in this big harbor not big but big for me I was a kid so I remember walking by there to go fishing you know jigging for squid at night and being like is that thing gonna come to life <laughs>
0: <What> <laughs> was the that? big Jaws
3: thing in Manemsha yeah but. that's awesome that's awesome
0: so um, I think we got one more question and Josh I'm gonna let you do the honors. Because you want to ask a little something special.
2: Oh yeah, question. The, uh, <laughs> so I, I totally forgot that I had another question lined up. Look at that. Yeah, there was a question I missed too that I I, I might want to ask before this one. There was. Uh, so you had done. I I don't watch TV anymore, but um, you had produced and written a lot of paranormal stuff, and I'm a pretty big paranormal fan. Uh, my brother was in New England Paranormal Group, and he helps run Paracon every year here. Has that influenced you at all making the film?
3: I would say absolutely because, first of all, I have litters of of brothers and sisters, and I'm on the younger side of the family. I have eight sisters and seven brothers. And uh, just like everyone likes to sit around and tell, you know camp camp, you know fireside camp stories, ghost stories, where everyone get scared. They would do that to us, but they would take it to the nth degree where they actually told us trolls have kidnapped your brother and he's missing a leg. And I'd be like, shit, we got to help him. So from a very young age, it was very hard for me to tell what was real, what was not. So I became obsessed with it. And I've done a lot of paranormal shows. I did Factor faked uh, paranormal files for, for sci-fi. I did Ghosts of Shepherdstown, Ghosts of Morgan City. And I, I have to say that I am obsessed with the paranormal. I'm a skeptic, which is why I make a good uh, showrunner, which means I'm like, well, how else could this possibly have happened? Could there be a light refraction from that that hit that, uh, that that affected, is there is there, you know, is there some kind of condensation on the camera lens? You know, so obviously I'm, I, I like to poke holes in it in order to prove that it could be true. So on uh, Ghosts of, of Shepherdstown, which we did with, you know, if you're a paranormal buff, then you must know Nick. Groff?
2: Okay. I, I've heard the name, but I don't recall. Uh, so he was I one mean, of our.
3: He was one of our hosts. He did Ghost Hunters for years. He was one of our hosts, and we um, we used to have in in West Virginia because we filmed. You know, when we fil- film a, a a ghost show, you're filming it for you know three or four months. We used to have Horror uh, Thursdays, which turned into. Uh, which was just uh, the whole cast and crew coming and watching horror movies at the production rental. And then it turned into Horror Tuesdays. And then I think it turned into Horror Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So three times a week after we wrapped, we'd all go watch horror films together. And that just fed me because I could see all these people who I respected who were on our crew or cast who had such interesting things to say. And it became a test of like, somebody from the sound department had to bring a horror film to the table or a found footage film to the table. But before they did it, Uh, They had to find out how much the film was made for, uh, when it was released, how much it made box office. And then when the film ended, we'd all talk about it and we'd have to guess what it was. So it very much informed my appreciation of how much we thought films were made for and how much they weren't actually made for or vice versa. So I would say that very much have been kind of, you know, obsessed with what's real, what's not. And that comes to the human psyche as well, right? Where you're not sure if someone's crazy or not crazy, they're not sure if they're Crazy or not crazy, and that, you know, the dichotomy of that is very similar, I think, to paranormal what's real, what's not real.
2: It's true. You should come to Rhode Island as it's the tiniest little state, but we taps uh was the next town over so that's where i recognize that name he was if he was on the taps he you know they had a place right in warwick which is the next town over from me coventry and i mean the layers of supernatural here are pretty deep uh hp lovecraft was from here and and uh we we have a big edgar Allan poe following here and of course uh taps was here the johnson brothers who are are big in the paranormal they they're from rhode island just a slew of other guys and i mean uh yeah, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Yeah,
3: yeah, and I could go on and on with you too. I mean, there's a lot of history there too. There's a lot of uh yeah. war. There's a, there is a lot of 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 paranormal residue, shall I say, but yeah. that's there that I do believe in a lot of it actually. Yeah.
2: Pretty PVD actually stands for Providence Providence Horror, so you know, Rhode Island is key for that, but um uh, th- that was a side note. Uh the big question was at the end of the film there was another mom watching her video and her son walks in and he's like, what are you doing? She's like, uh, nothing. And turns it off. And I'm like, are we looking at a sequel?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you played that mother perfectly.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was watching the film again. <laughs> I'm a parent. I have experience.
3: <laughs> that, that was actually shot, you guys, from exactly right here. That was my living room. That was right there.
2: Oh,
0: okay. yeah. You
3: recognize the fridge? That was Yes, right uh, yes.
0: There. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Bound footage, awesome. Keep
3: it as real as you can. That's awesome. Um, I, I did not plan on a sequel, but we have gotten that question quite a bit. But if you guys have ideas for sequels, please, please email me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Starring Joshua in,
3: in the leading role. It's Jacob all grown up. <laughs> I like it. Even like the that. beard can't disguise his wrath. <laughs>
2: Yeah, That's awesome. Well, Bailey, <laughs> you could be in the sequel with me and I won't cut out any of your stuff. How about that? Well,
0: we'll be watching, yeah. we'll be watching footage of you as a as a youth and it'll be actually Bailey playing you as
4: <laughs> There uh, we go. Full circle. Yeah, we'll be built in.
0: <laughs> so um, Bailey, I'll start with you. Is there anything you have coming up or anything that you want to kind of like tell people to check out or anything?
4: I'm in the midst of finishing up as I feel like all of us did uh, during pandemic. I uh, worked with one of. My, I have a writing partner who um, very different adventure than this, a sort of comedic web series world that we shot and messed around with this summer. That is a big departure from Jacob. So if you want to see a very very different side of me, um, that'll be on social media and easily found coming this January
2: February. Nice. Do you want to plug your social medias right now so they can find it?
4: Oh sure, yeah. My Instagram is uh, bailed out. So as if one is bailed out of something, it's a fun play on Bailey Edwards that my sisters came up with.
0: (laughs) And, uh, to see do you have anything that you'd like to promote or just continue promoting the movie?
3: Uh, I would love to continue promoting the movie. It's very sad that we had a lot of, uh, you know we had the Hollywood reporter and the LA times and a lot of uh uh kind of big name just outside of the horror circuit um critics coming to our our premiere and unfortunately because of covid it was canceled so although i am i'm thrilled and probably more thrilled uh than my investors are about tapping into the horror circuit and the horror family we were not able to break into mains not yet break into mainstream yet so i would like to continue promoting the film i'm working on um I, I, I work in documentary television for the most part. So I pay my bills and keep my lights on. So I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the showrunner for Intervention, which is uh, a, a, a long, you know, long-term documentary series on, on A&E Network. I have a couple other scripts that I wrote that won awards, but until I I wrap up with my actual day paying gigs, I won't get back to it. I have a a film, a screenplay I wrote called Half Breed that is also more paranormal than Mom, but has uh, has a lot to do with with. Well, let's just say it, it placed as one of the winners for the Page International Screenwriting Awards, and I'd love to get back to that, but I have to. Um, I have To wrap out my television shows first, it's a mom movie on Instagram, so it's M period O period M period movie for Instagram, and I think it's moms of monsters for Twitter. And I can't even remember what it is for Facebook. Do you know, Bailey?
4: I think, but I think with Facebook, you can just plug Look in Mother Monsters Mothers, and I'll come up and, yeah. and just tell everyone you know about it, share it
2: wide and far. Yes,
3: I love it when people get it, that's why I love that you guys got it. I really yeah, do, awesome. yeah.
2: Uh, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Josh, that's
0: one of Josh's <laughs> biggest compliments of the year, right there. That's made it 2020. Did I get it. something? Yes. Yeah. So thank you guys again for coming on and spending this time with us. This has been great, and it's been a pleasure kind of picking your brains about this film and just hearing all the thought and you know passion that went into making this project. So I really appreciate that, and want to thank you guys for that.
3: Yeah. Thanks for inviting us on. We we we're yeah. really grateful for that.
4: It's so much fun to chat about and to chat about with people who want to talk about it is amazing.
3: It's the horror fam. It's hashtag horror fam, man.
4: That's right.
0: That's
2: right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hit me up for that sequel, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
2: will. Hey, thanks for listening to PVD Horror, the podcast. Big shout out to 2CR and also Bailey. It was really cool of them. Come on, uh, make sure you check out our podcast, rate us, review us, uh, follow us on all the social medias, the YouTube, the Instagram, the Twitter, and TikTok and all the other ones that we're on. PVD Horror. <laughs> it's fucking <good>. How's that? <laughs> yeah.
0: plays Jacob, the uh, the main protagonist in or antagonist. What I
1: about?
0: <laughs> you guys have another hour. Hey, what's up? This is Dave. Uh, pe- oh
1: God, no. <laughs> oh God, no.
0: Today we're sitting down with tos- tos-
1: Tostitos. <laughs> Tostitos.
0: If you guys want to go, I'll just talk to myself. Um...
1: What? <laughs> I talked to the dudes that that created bump fights like a long time ago. I actually did a song for them. You remember Bling Bling? The bum? Uh, no. Were they no, actually no. like You, you just said you watch bum fights.
2: It was so long ago, dude. I
1: don't remember. I, yeah,
2: dude, the dude that goes bling bling, bumps. he goes
1: bling. The guy that goes bling bling hides a crack pipe in his collar. Only the bling bling. <laughs> oh my god. So I made a rap song as bling bling, and they were gonna use it for uh, Bum fights 4, but it got cancelled. Like, it was legit fire. <laughs> So back in the day, bum fights didn't, um, wasn't like a big thing. I they had, how you are schooling us
0: on bum now?
1: We had this dude, he was like the crocodile hunter, and he was called the bum hunter. He was like going to <laughs> LA, and like, look at this big one! Oh my goodness gracious! Oh my god. <laughs>